Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. Athletic Zach Kiefer joins us. I found this interesting. You had tweeted out uh, what is somewhat of a mystery if you're paying attention, especially with the woeful look of this Colts offensive line so far this year, has been that of Dennis Kelly. You tweeted that out and then got a response in a meme from Dennis Kelly wondering kind of the same thing. So what's going on, you think, as far as Dennis Kelly and this Colts team is concerned here? I think Dennis Kelly wants to know the same thing, and, and I don't blame him. And, look, we've asked. Like, everyone's, like, asking, like, why do you guys ask? Like, we've asked. We've asked every question about this offensive line you can imagine. Look, Dennis Kelly was injured early in camp, missed the, the bulk of camp, came back, has been healthy since, as far as we know. We asked about it last week. Frank said, I really, I'm really glad that Dennis Kelly is here. But it's not like they have a good situation at offensive tackle. Like, it's not like they have anything at offensive tackle right now. They're going to stick with Bernard Ryman, the rookie at left tackle, I thought was better than the than probably originally thought last week in Denver. The penalties were bad. A couple of them were spotty calls. But if you stick with him, what do you do at right tackle? Do you move Braden Smith back? Because if you don't, then you've got two of the highest-paid guards in the National Football League and probably one of the worst offensive lines in the National Football League and then a problem at right tackle because – in my opinion, and I don't think you disagree, John, I don't think anybody out there would disagree, this team cannot keep playing Matt Pryor anywhere on the field. He's the worst player on this roster in terms of guys that are playing, and he's killing them. He is just killing them right now. So I don't know why they're not playing Dennis Kelly. For, for everything I understand, he's healthy, but they are doing everything they can not to play him right now and play a guy, Matt Pryor, who is struggling mightily, and they signed Ty Nitschke today you know, to – bulk up that tackle room to, to help themselves. But look, this is, this is a very, and, and what they did last week in, in Denver, this is a very obvious omission. If they're not even willing to say it, it's the reality. They screwed this up terribly in the off season. They thought they could put prior at left tackle. They were dead wrong. They thought they could put Danny Pinter at right guard. They were dead wrong. And it's nearly gotten Matt Ryan killed. So that's the reality. And, and they're looking for answers and it's really hard to find answers in the middle of October. So Zach Key for the Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I have brought this up and while I'm sure it was outrageous and ridiculous, but I, I had brought this up to you before uh, about, you know, moving Nelson over to, to left tackle and, you know, to the point where I, I think even Chris Ballard made light of it and laughed at it. And I will say now looking at thinking that Matt Pryor was a solution at left tackle, uh, it, listen, my idea was sure as hell better than the Matt Pryor idea coming from the general manager. So if he's going to laugh about something, he should laugh about his own decision. Should he not? Terrible move. It's, it's, it's solely on the general manager as far as I'm concerned. And Frank Reich bears blame in this as well. Frank Reich didn't laugh when we asked about that. But believe me, we've asked the Nelson to left tackle question several times. And their thinking was – if you have a Hall of Fame caliber left guard, you keep him at left guard. I agreed at the time. I don't agree now because he's not a Hall of Fame guard right now. He's not playing like it. He's not even playing like a pro bowler right now. That's the reality. Everyone on that offensive line has regressed. They're the worst offensive line in the league. And I have sort of a detailed study that's coming out tomorrow, a story about, you know, the quarterback and his issues and the offensive line and their issues. And some of the stats are really alarming. I don't need to tell Colts fans and your listeners that this offensive line is bad right now. Anybody watching the tape can tell. But 
you're right. I mean, it, it might have been better if you played left tackle than, than Matt Pryor the first couple games of the season. You know, they're having to force Bernard Ryman in, which they wanted to have to do at some point this season, but they didn't want to do it on a short week with the guy who'd never made a start at that position in this league. And and they're just they're just playing with fire right now. At, at what point does Matt Ryan not get up from one of these hits? I mean, he's a tough dude, and we've seen that. But he's not as he's not as big as Carson Wentz. He's not built like Andrew Luck or Jacoby Brissett. And and this is just playing with fire right now. So this is a mess of their own making. And you're right. I mean, they should have done to think that they could just roll with Matt Pryor and it would just work out is just it's just dereliction of duty. I mean, that you can't just for lack of a better term, just hope and pray at left tackle, for God's sakes. You just can't do that. They did, and this is the mess that they're in right now. I, Zach Kiefer joins us. Let's go back to last week, short week, and they made significant changes along the offensive line. Why did they draw the conclusion? And I'm assuming it's Frank and Chris and probably Chris Stross are involved in these, these final decisions made before that Denver game to start prior at right tackle, move Braden from right tackle inside to right guard, and then obviously if you're going to move prior out of that, you're going to go ahead and start the rookie, Ryman, at left tackle. Whose idea was that shuffling of the deck? And and then why did they come to that conclusion, in particularly on the right side, Zach? Yeah, I think it was a, a decision that was made by all three of them. And I think it's a pretty glaring omission that, Pryor can't handle speed on the edge. And look, I mean, I'm not a football expert, but I saw this and I asked the questions in August. Matt Pryor struggled big time against Ngakwe in camp. And then when the Lions were here, he struggled big time again with speed on the edge. The Lions have a pretty good defensive front, including the stud rookie Aiden Hutchinson. And it was just obvious, like you could just tell. And the other player who did not look good against the Lions was Danny Pinter. And I've always said this, that you can't get a real feel for how good an offensive line is going to be in training camp. You just can't because they're not playing real football yet. And a lot of players have told me the same thing. I didn't see Ryan Kelly regressing the way he is, and I didn't see Quentin Nelson having the early struggles that he's had. But to answer your question, Matt Pryor, in theory, is more comfortable on the right side. And I've talked to him about this, and there are some intricacies of the position that are just a little bit more comfortable for him on the right side. It wasn't better Thursday in Denver. We all saw that. It's not, it's not going to work on either side right now. The interesting thing, like you said, is to move Braden Smith, who you paid $70 million last year to be your right tackle, who's been really, really dang good at right tackle, to right guard. Does he stay there? Do you move him back to right tackle? He was drafted to be a guard, remember, but he hasn't played like a tackle the last couple of weeks, and it's been very alarming. I mean, I'm, like, it's one thing to miss on Matt Pryor, who's never been a starter in this league consistency. It's another to see Braden Smith just regress the way he has. So that's, that's maybe the most alarming thing. Did they move Smith to accommodate Pryor? Why would you move a, an established starter to accommodate a, a journeyman? That, that's well, risky. Yeah, right? and I, I agree with you. And, again, if you're going to play Pryor, play him at right guard. And then keep Smith at right tackle. Was there a, a, a banged-up injury concern that they thought in a short week it'd be better off to move Smith as an interior well, lineman on the right side? Well, I mean, I, I just it almost was like they picked the names out of a hat. Yeah, it didn't make any sense. And you know, this this was this was the most substantial offensive line change since 
week three of the 2015 season when they moved Jack Muhord and they benched Todd Harriman, if you guys remember. What happened that day? Did anything noteworthy happen that day? I hate to bring it up, but it was the day Andrew Luck first hurt his shoulder. So this is where they're at. They're at desperation by doing this with the offensive line, just like they were in 2015 when they knew they couldn't protect their franchise quarterback. The shame of it is when, that, when Chris Ballard came in in 2017, Jacoby Brissett was sacked 56 times. Chris Ballard had some moments where he said, I'm tired of us getting our bleak kicked up front, right? The, the up front, the trenches, that's very, very sacred to Chris Ballard. The problem is the moves don't reflect that, and this offensive line is just startlingly bad. It doesn't excuse some of Matt Ryan's turnovers and his fumbles and his interceptions. We all know that. But I've said this all along, until this offensive line gets fixed, and I'm really not sure it's going to, this team's not going anywhere. Just because they snuck out of Denver doesn't change that. Is there a way that they go with what we saw on Thursday night as the starters and and then consider that for a moment as I finish my two-part question for you, Zach. Might we see Ryman, Nelson, Pinter, Pryor, and Smith along that offensive line against the Jaguars Sunday? I hear what you're saying. Um, you know, I did talk to Ryan Kelly after the game, and he didn't play the second half, and I asked him how much pain he was in, and the indication I got was it's quite a bit of pain. Now, does that excuse the play? Probably not, but it does explain it a little bit. Can you play prior right now anywhere on the field? Can you hide him a little more at right guard? Yeah. I think everyone out there has seen that Danny Pinter is a pretty capable center right now, and this team had its best runs of the night, Thursday night, when he was in the game late. So I think that's the reality. Do you, do you trust Nelson – or excuse me, do you trust Braden Smith to go back to right tackle? I think you might have to. Um, we're going to ask some questions this week, and we're going to look to see what we can find out. But, look, this team – the last time they played Jacksonville was absolutely manhandled up front. I can run down the numbers for you. They're scary. I mean, they're just straight-up scary. 47 pressures, right. um, 31 hits, 21 sacks, the most in the league. I mean, these are numbers that don't even come close to what they've given up the last couple of years. So they need to find a combination. But Danny Pinter and Matt Pryor might be in the equation as well. Now, Zach, I know if Rick Venturi is somewhere listening, he would agree with me right now. Jacksonville in that Week 2 game defensively ran so many stunts and twists, and a lot of those ended up going through the interior of the offensive line, you know, going to either side of of Ryan Kelly, you know, really going up against the guard position. So I I get what you're thinking regarding prior – I mean, this might be even even worse of a scenario for him if you put him anywhere on the field, and even in this case, at right guard as a starter. This is the problem. This is the bed they've made. This is this is this is in my story that's coming out tomorrow. It's not that they ignored the problem, but you let a guy like Chris Reed go in free agency, and you'd kill to have him right now. And you let a guy like Mark Lewinsky, who was undervalued here, you let him go in free agency. And I understand that they can't pay everyone. And Jack Doyle matters in this equation a lot, too. The reason they haven't had as many big runs is because 84 isn't there, and they're starting to call him the best-blocking tight end in the, in the league. They, did, they didn't say that last year, but they're saying that now that they don't have him. But this is the reality. You know, that's, that's six of the six linemen, if you include the tight end. That's three guys that are gone from last year. And Eric Fisher, for all of his problems last year at left tackle in pass protection, watch the tape. He was a really, really good run blocker, and that's why JT ran for 1,800 yards. So, to just kind of say we can just plug and play and we'll just figure it out, it didn't work 
they were dead wrong, and they're paying the price for it right now. Zach Kiefer, the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Ashton Doolin was placed on IR. He'll miss a minimum of four games, I believe, with a foot injury. What is the latest there? And uh, I know that you haven't been able to talk to anybody about this injury just yet, but uh, what's your thought on is it going to be the minimum here? Might it be longer? And are they going to have to find not just a wide receiver, but somebody that also can compete on special teams to fill that gap? Yeah, this is a bigger loss than most people probably realize. A big special teamer and a guy who was making strides in the past game and who they leaned on by simple virtue of the fact that they don't have a lot at wide receiver. The good news for the Colts is Alec Pierce has stepped up in a big way and looks like a nice pair with Michael Pittman Jr. The other good news is they're starting to be able to count on their wide receivers. Kylan Granson had some nice catches last week. Jelani Woods had the big catch a couple weeks ago after the two-touchdown game. And you're starting to see a little bit more of, more of Moelle Cox as well. So that's good, right? But Ashton Doolin matters a lot. And you asked Bubba Ventrone, the special teams coordinator. He's one of his favorite guys. He does a lot of different things on special teams. He's a guy that can count on on third downs on offense as well. So this is a big loss. I will add that it's a little encouraging. I don't want to get too far ahead, but it's encouraging that they didn't put Darius Shaq Leonard on IR with the nose slash concussion. I thought originally that might be in play because it took them a couple of days for the swelling to go down just to get a diagnosis on this nose because it was nasty. I mean, for those that saw the blood on that Sunday against the Titans, this was nasty. So hopefully for Shaq's sake, for the defense's sake, this is not a four-game thing. Them not putting him on IR is probably encouraging news, but still probably a long shot. He's back for the Jaguars game Sunday. Um, yeah, so that and then and then Jonathan Taylor, I wanted to ask you a couple of things. I thought that maybe in a short week um, he wasn't going to play, but in a longer week, if it was normal, he would have played. I want to ask you about that and his potential return on Sunday, which is vital, and then whether or not can you guys feel at all that uh, there may be some uh, frustration going on with the lack of any space to run whatsoever that this line's creating for him? Yeah. There is. JT's not going to say it. He's too nice of a guy. He's too good of a teammate. But it's human nature to be frustrated. And, and, and Philip Lindsay said it for him. You know, Philip Lindsay said, I know Frank's frustrated. I know JT's frustrated that there's no holes. The amount of pressure, especially in that first Jacksonville game, up the A and B gaps, was just alarming. But I did ask Frank Reich after the press conference late Thursday night in Denver about JT's status for Jacksonville, and he said cautiously optimistic. Those are Frank's words for, I think he's going to be able to play, but I can't say for sure. We're going to get a better sense this week. They're on the practice field tomorrow, Thursday, Friday. They need JT back. We'll see where Naheem Hines is at. I never want to predict a concussion situation, but with the 10-day layoff, that aids him and his ability to come back. He did apologize to Frank in the locker room at halftime of the Denver game, saying, you know, I've taken bigger hits than that. I want to go back in. Obviously, there was no chance he was going to go back in. We all saw what happened on that third snap of the game. But, um, you know, there was some encouraging signs. The Denver's defense is really good. And the fact that Deion Jackson, who I thought ran really hard, and Lindsey were able to get over 100 yards collectively Thursday night, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. There were holes. There were places to run. I watched the tape yesterday. If you give JT those holes, they're probably home runs. They're probably touchdowns. Frank Reich is, is adamant that this team is going to come together and they're going to turn the page. And I should add this. 
it's about this time every year with these new quarterbacks each season that they start to figure things out. Now, no one's going anywhere until this offensive line figures things out. But if you go back, the new quarterbacks, Rivers, four touchdowns and five interceptions, was not playing well at this point. They finished pretty strong with him. Last year, Carson Wentz had the ankle, but he played his best football in October and November of last year. I know what everyone's saying. And then, obviously, Matt Ryan, if he can have a clean pocket, can probably play pretty good football. I'm not excusing the interceptions, but his off-target throw percentage is only 7%, and that's better than Brissett. It's better than Rivers, who was very accurate, and it's better than Wentz. So I still believe if they give this guy a clean pocket, which he hasn't had at all this season, he can do some things to move the football down the field again, but they need to protect him, and he's got to stop throwing to the other team as well. Well, and, and again, a couple of things with Zach Key for the Athletic here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I, I think we disagree on the quarterback play. I don't think he's been any good at all. Um, and really, I, I think that obviously, in large part, it's because of the offensive line play. That's certainly not, I'm sure, what he signed up for with his protection. But even beyond that, and, and I guess it's from sitting up at the press box, which you have done in those couple of home games, there were some moments late in Kansas City, um, you know, not very much to write home about uh, against Tennessee, but he's missed a lot. He has missed a lot, even without being you know, tracked down within a second and sacked. He's missed a lot. He's he's certainly, you know, fumbled too much. He's been a detriment to his team, even beyond the poor play of the offensive line. What what do you see in him that evidently I don't see? Yeah, so this is hard to gauge, right? Like, it's hard to evaluate him so far with the offensive line play and the pressure. Like, you know, we've asked about this internal clock that's just been sped up, and he's had to play faster than he should have because of the line. That being said, the dude's fumbled 11 times. Like, it's a miracle that only three of those have been lost. Like, that's, that's ridiculous for a 15-year veteran. That's ridiculous for a first-year quarterback. So, that's inexcusable. The interceptions on Thursday night were abysmal. There's no excusing that. That doesn't – you know, we don't get to throw that out of the equation. But there have been some really good throws. And, obviously, a quarterback is judged on his consistency. When I go back and watch the tape, and when he does have time, he's made some, he's made some pretty dang good throws. And, and I've seen him. I've seen him on the tape. We're talking tight windows. We're talking the third down to Alec Pierce on Thursday night in Denver. And the strange thing is he's got, he's got three fourth-quarter comebacks in five weeks. That's more than any quarterback in football. And if he doesn't have a kicker miss a 42-yarder, they got three come-from-behind wins. That matters in my mind because they didn't have that last year. But I see what you're saying. There are points in every game where I'm like, this dude doesn't have it right now. And I think a huge part of it is the offensive line. And a huge part of it is the fact that they're the worst team in the league right now at first and second down. They've had 69 third down attempts that are seven yards or longer. No, sorry, 34 of 69. So half of their third down attempts are third down are long it's seven yards or longer so they're just making it really really hard and and matt ryan is not a good enough quarterback he's not lamar jackson he's not patrick mahomes he's not josh allen to just make third and nines look easy like we used to watch with peyton Manning and andrew luck that's just not going to happen so i think it's hard to evaluate the quarterback because of the pressure there have been some really bad moments but i think there's a little bit of good in there somewhere if they protect him Zach Kiefer of The Athletic is with us. All right, so I'm not coming with the criticism without 
what I would hope to think would be some sort of solution with Matt Ryan in mind here and with this offense in mind. The offensive line has been terrible in pass protection. We saw that again on Thursday. Now, I don't know if this was by design or just the way the game was going, but in that final drive, right, it seemed like that late in that game, they shortened up some of the routes to make it more conducive for Ryan to get the ball out of there and not be subject to, you know, the pass rush that's been on top of him because of the lack of the pass protection. I is screaming at halftime, please shorten up the routes. Please do something more. I asked Stephen Holder the same thing yesterday. He had mentioned that that Ryan is, is not – that's not his forte. That's not what he does in that quick rhythm, getting the ball out of there type of stuff. And you went back to Phillip Rivers a couple of years ago – he really got good with this team and efficient with this team when the ball was out and they got used to those quick rhythm plays and routes being run. I thought he became really efficient at that time. Is that something that they should be thinking about with this offense, especially considering the way this offensive line is pass protecting? I mean, I don't care if it's not Matt Ryan's forte. Make it your forte. Right? Well, I mean, it doesn't seem like – I mean, I was screaming about it on, on Thursday night, but I haven't heard anybody else really talk about it, and I just wondered if maybe I was crazy in my thinking there and, and, and what no, I saw at were, the end of the game, too. This, this, this very question was asked Monday in the press conference about ways to get the ball out quicker and protect yourself and protect your offensive line. And remember what happened in 2018 when Frank yeah. Reich took over. They started to do this with Andrew Luck, and it was the first time right. they started to really have quick rhythm throws. It took a little while to get used to it, but then they started to really get going late, and it really does help the run game as well. They need to. They, they, they can't call these seven-step drops. They can't protect that long. And, and Matt Ryan, I think his release is pretty quick, and he's, he's pretty good at getting the ball out quickly when he's got pressure. But when he's getting pressure on three out of every four passing downs, it's just, there's just not a lot of hope. And he's fairly agile for a guy who's 37 years old, but he's certainly not going to avoid the sacks that, that even Carson Wentz was last year. So, Look, I think Frank Reich's acknowledged the fact that they're looking into this and they're trying to figure this out, but it's fairly obvious that, I mean, let's, let's not color code it, right? I mean, they're averaging 13.8 points per game. They haven't scored above 20 since Christmas night in Arizona, and they were pretty terrible on offense that entire game until that final drive. T.Y. caught the big one, and then Wentz made that spectacular throw to, Patman. to Desmond Patman. I mean, they, they haven't done anything on offense since then, so – Whatever they're doing is not working, and they need to figure something out. And Frank Reich said they watched a lot of different games this weekend, trying to see what other teams are doing across the league, trying to pick up some things. For their sake, let's hope they figure some things out, and they're going to implement a little bit of this quick passing game to take some pressure off the quarterback, but more importantly, this offensive line. Yeah, it made me feel a lot better about that, too. One final thing was Zach Kiefer of the Athletic. So we, we've seen in a couple of games here, you know, Russell Wilson, whether it was his faults, uh, Nathaniel Hackett's fault, the offense's fault, and then for whatever, give credit where credit is due. The Colts defense played well, especially Stephon Gilmore against them. We saw the Colts defense play well against Patrick Mahomes in that week three win, their first win of the season. I'm curious from that experience going back to week number two against Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence, how differently might we expect this defense to try to handle this Jacksonville offense compared to what we saw back in week two? Yeah, you want to talk about quick trigger game. Trevor Lawrence absolutely diced them up. Trevor Lawrence is is a league MVP every time he plays the Colts. There's only been a couple times, but the last two times, he's absolutely embarrassed them. 
And if they aren't prepared for that quick passing game on Sunday, I don't know what they're doing all week, frankly, to be honest. And we did ask Gus Bradley, the defensive coordinator, about that today. And it's very obvious that guys are starting to settle into the scheme and understand what they're supposed to do. Kenny Moore, Stephon Gilmore, he singled those guys out by name today, saying they really are buying into what they're doing. And you can see it on Sundays and, I guess, Thursday night last week. So they need to be prepared for very, very quick passes from Trevor Lawrence. And Bradley did say that the, the Jaguars are a much different team than they saw just a couple of weeks ago. I'm interested to see what he meant by that because I don't, I don't know how much different they're going to be. If you're the Jaguars, why would, you, why would you change up your approach? I mean, everything you do against the Colts works. So we'll see. But, they, I mean, let's not overlook the fact that they, they deserve credit for the way they finished and they won the game and Denver's a mess. But this, this Colts team, they have a lot of flaws that they, that they further, further showed us all in Denver on Thursday night. And if they play like that against any other team right now, they're going to get beat, including the Jaguars on Sunday. Yeah, and Zach, this is for another time, but we're just thinking about the flaws and the failures with this offensive line. With the construction, the foundational piece that is this offensive line, it just doesn't have an effect this year in the present, but that's going to have a lasting longer term effect, especially when you're talking about the financials of it stuff. Well, I'm sure I'll talk about later on if this thing doesn't find a way to get better and get much better compared to where our expectations were, you know? Yeah, we can debate all day and all night about, you know, how to build a team. And we've talked about that on here a lot. If you're going to build through the trenches, right? If you're going to go all in on the offensive and defensive lines, then you better do it right, right? You better win up front every single week, and they're not doing that. You see the impact on the defensive line, what they're doing, the problems they're causing, and they're winning games because of that defensive line. On the other side, they're losing games because their offensive line is just underperforming so much. And if you go all in and you spend all that money on that side of the ball and you're going to be about the trenches, then you've got to be about the trenches, and you've got to stop getting mauled up front every single week and and that's I mean I I just didn't see I didn't see this coming I didn't see that regression from especially the three starters that were coming back so Zach Key for the Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline find out some things coming up tomorrow I guess quick rhythm get the ball out of there shorter routes at this point I I don't know what more it might take for them to uh, adjust to that with their offensive situation I guess we'll see coming up on Sunday should be a fun one. Every every week's a big week right now. You know, you've got you got Jacksonville, <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. got to go to Tennessee, and, and Vrabel's really owned the series. And then, oh, by the way, if he's still the quarterback in Washington, Carson Wentz is coming back. So there's no really where to hide for the Colts, and that's a good thing. It's going to be fun to watch. You got it, buddy. I appreciate you. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, man. It's uh, Zach Key for The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, you're watching Inside the Lounge via YouTube Live. Check it out. Participate. If you have any questions, lob them in here because the data scientist from PFF, our friend Ben Brown, every Tuesday joins us here in the 4 o'clock hour. I'm assuming you were watching Monday Night Football last night. So what on what dip blank spreadsheet might it say go for two with 430 left down one? on the road if you were 11th hour McDaniels last night. What the hell spreadsheet? Whose spreadsheet is that? I 
I don't, I honestly, uh, I don't think that it lives on any spreadsheet, to be honest with you. I think analytics is catching strays from poor decision-making is kind of the crux of the overall issue, I would say. Right. Oh, I, I, I love you're that, coming to the defense of analytics here. I love it. Continue, Ben, please go. <laughs> <laughs> because I would say analytics isn't this straightforward decision every single time that there's some sort of situation to always be aggressive. I think that it, you know, there's, there's certain situations that coaches come into and they make a decision and no matter what decision they make, someone's going to say, well, that's an analytics decision. It's not necessarily an analytics decision on both sides of the equation. Uh, I, I think what the, the term is, is analytics is much more of like a framework in which to evaluate your decisions. And, and in doing that, you have some sort of variable that you are trying to maximize anytime you're trying to make any sort of decision. That variable in football, for example, is, is most of the time win probability. So when you come to a fork in the road as far as what decision you should make on the football field, there's, there's, there's really a couple sides to each equation. And that evaluation process, I would say, is analytics and not so much, uh, not so much the decision uh, it, at that point in time can't be analytics on both sides of the equation or it can't be correct analytics on both sides of the equation. There's, there's a right and a wrong answer. And I would say last night specifically, both coaches uh, made the wrong answer as far as their two point decision-making process. Right. And obviously Andy Reed's call was much less significant because they went on and won the game. But the one that stood out was from 11th hour right there. And that's, you know, yeah. really you look at it, that moment didn't make a lot of sense. Although the broadcast said, if you look at the card or the sheet or whatever, however they reference this, they, they said that, that that was the play or a play under those circumstances. So I, I guess that's the reason why analytics is taking those strays is because of the broadcast and what they said. Yeah, and, and I, honestly, I, I agree with you 100%. I do think it paints it in a really bad light, but there's no model, at least as far as that I've developed, that would ever say to go for two in that situation, facing off. Uh, you know, against the best quarterback in the world with and giving him so much time to kind of counterpunch that one attack. You're only up one point at that point in time. Just go tie the football game and, and play it out, and maybe you'll get the ball back. But uh, I, I think going for it there to try and win the game with four and a half minutes left is just uh, an egregiously poor decision. And I do, th- do think you see that play out, you know, from a win probability standpoint with, 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 with the effect that that had overall on that game. Ben Brown of PFF, the data scientist with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. A, a quick Colts note before I get back to Ben. They've signed defensive tackle Chris Williams to the 53-man from the practice squad, placed wide receiver Ashton Doolin on the IR, and have signed, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I believe his name is Ty Nishiki to the practice squad. He is an offensive tackle, but obviously the big news right there is wide receiver Ashton Doolin and uh, special teams ace as well, uh, well, Ashton Doolin going to the IR. We'll talk about that in a bit. Ben Brown rejoins us now. All right, so Matthew Stansberry inside our lounge via YouTube Live right here. I asked him to lob in some questions. Wanted me to ask you to give a brief overview on how you guys calculate what percent of the line play contributes to the running game, i.e. yards slash carries, etc. You get that question? Yeah, I definitely do. And I do think, you know, it, it, it is a really interesting question. The, the thing that we do is we've tried to basically create a, um, like a metric that that quantifies like the expectation for each rushing yard. And that folds in, you know, the context of the play as far as, you know, down distance, 
uh, yards to go to the goal line, even like the time-based factors as far as how much time's left in the game. All those things go in to bake in, you know, some sort of straightforward league-wide expectation for how successful that run's going to go. And then you can also fold in things like, you know, the specific scheme or, or, or play design, whether that's inside zone, outside zone, counter, all of these things. And, and we can get a pretty accurate understanding of how, how successful, you know, offensive lines have been previously uh, in those types of situations. And then we can judge, you know, based on where initial contact happened, you know, for that particular ball carrier, how successful was that individual offensive line unit on that particular play? And then we can kind of grade them out, you know, based on how they do over a large sample size when taking all those things into account. So I would say it's very much, you know, scheme and, and situation dependent. Uh, but there is definitely, you know, situations where the offensive line has, you know, much more influence and much, much, much more directive over how successful that run play is uh than the, than the running back in any particular one play ben brown goes over the colts numbers and the nfl numbers from pff on the andy moore automotive group hotline is there a way that you can separate the previous offensive line of the colts numbers and compare that to when they made those changes on thursday night do you have that capability right now and how those numbers played um, out I I could look it up here. I'd have to know the specific timing of it. I, I it's something I could definitely run and look at, and uh, you know, send to you guys. Yeah, to I'm just, I was gonna. I, I didn't know if like it, that that, that was going to be a lot, and I didn't ask you before this, and I was just kind of curious if you had it. So we'll, we'll go ahead and just keep them lumped together right now, even though they made the changes. Of course, you saw it on Thursday night, and literally one of the worst games of all time with the Colts getting a win is the only way it has any redeeming quality whatsoever was that win. But the offensive line, they made significant changes. They moved Matthew Pryor from left tackle to right tackle. They moved Braden Smith from uh, right tackle inside to right guard and then had Ryan Kelly go out during the game with an injury. They brought Danny Pinter in and then, you know, the standby there was, was Quentin Nelson and Bernard Ryman, the rookie left tackle, got his first start and really kind of looked like he was going to be not out there for a variety of points during that game so you add that offensive line play compared to the previous weeks of offensive line play where does this line rank right now among those in the nfl yeah it's it was really bad it was by far their worst performance in the nfl or worst performance you know per week on a pass blocking basis also on a run blocking basis so definitely not uh, you, you know, the, the, the output that you would want from that offensive line, especially given how much they're honestly paid. But uh, it is still, you know, one of the worst offensive lines overall was, you know, with their really bad performance, um, you know, last week, I think we have them from, you know, pass blocking perspective. Um, looking at it right here, we have them um, uh, 27th, basically, out of 32 NFL teams, uh, you know, really high uh, pressure rate, I think it's at like 28.4%, which uh, I think ranks, you know, 14th, I guess, which isn't, you know, egregiously high, but also they've been in, you know, uh, a number of running down situations to the point where maybe they've had some impact on the pressure situations. But yeah, 27th uh, overall in pass blocking grades of the first five weeks of the season that had, you know, by far the worst unit wide performance throughout the whole game in week five, I do think it would be very interesting to look at, you know, some of the splits and adjustments when they were actually made. Yeah. Um, we could look at it by, you know, quarter type situations. If it happened, I'm not sure, you know, exactly when it happened, but uh, you know, the first and second quarters were uh, 
really, really bad. I think it was like a 22.4 overall grade, and then it did increase to you know 43.4 in the second half of that game. So it definitely did get better, uh, b- but still, you know, you're starting off on ground zero there, and you're only really moving to first base in that in, in that regard. Do you uh, have individual numbers for uh, each player this past weekend? Because you know, the Matthew Pryor stuff and. Left tackle was bad enough, and then at right tackle he gave up um, nine hurries, I believe. Uh, Nine rushes, I think, was the number on Thursday night. And it would seem like that as far as right tackles would be concerned in week five, it'd be tough to find anybody that ranked any lower than he did. Yeah, he had a a 17.4 pass blocking grade in week five, which was, you know, really, really bad Uh, pressure, nine total pressures, basically a lot of pressure on, like, you know, 18% of his drop back. So it was uh, as bad as it can possibly get. That might be, you know, I, I'm looking towards the end of my data set. Uh, I I don't think it's not only, you know, the lowest grade from a tackle perspective uh, that we had in, had in week five. It might be the lowest grade that we've had, you know, uh, on the whole season, basically, in any particular week. So I'll look at that uh, right now and see if I can actually get that number here quickly. But it was, um, you know, from a total snaps play percentage, uh, by far the lowest number uh, for all tackles. Or not but not by far the lowest number, but uh, it, it, it was basically Matt Pryor and Brandon Shell had two grades, you know, in, in the team basically, and everyone else is at least at, you know, 27.9 pass blocking grade or above. So well, I, was, I, I hear you scrolling uh, really right big, there. What? Okay, compare the 17. Really, really bad. The, the 17 grade at right tackle you had for Pryor, Compared to who was the highest grade? Who was the highest grade on Sunday? Or this past week, I should say. That's me. Uh, I heard you scrolling. I didn't know if it would be easy for you to wheel that thing back to the top of the list. All I do is scroll. So the highest grade was uh, Braden Smith at at right guard, basically. Well, hold on. Let me uh, me look at that one more second. So he was, uh, was Braden Smith was the highest graded among those Colts offensive linemen this past week. Yep. Yep, and he was basically just a just a hair below what we would say is you know average pass blocking grade or average offensive grade for an offensive lineman uh, last week. Yeah, we've been at a point where I think that they have taken the average grade and probably compared to what you saw on Thursday night would take that average grade again. There have been some talk about what to do. If I were them, I would go ahead and just go Braden Smith back to right tackle and and kind of take it because there's no way I would trot out Matthew Pryor against the edge rushing capabilities of Jacksonville and that incredibly important game on Sunday. And and they probably stick with Ryman at left tackle and hope that he looks a little bit better, but yeah, it doesn't seem like that they're coming up with a lot of answers right here, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's unfortunately like a really tough situation to be into, but yeah, I I think, you know, the, the goal has to be, Finding a replacement for Matt Pryor, I think. And offensive line is such a weak link system. If you can find somebody that can fill in, yeah. uh, you know, for him at that position and provide anything, you know, that that, that will hopefully, you know, increase the entire output for the, along the whole offensive line. It's, you know, kind of the hope and goals. Filling the one weak link, plugging that one bad hole uh, should hopefully alleviate the rest of them as well. It's uh, Ben Brown, the PFF data scientist, every Tuesday right here with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, before you grade out the entirety of the offense, give us the grade of the quarterback, Matt Ryan, this past Thursday night. 
I mean, it was, you know, once again, uh, as pretty much as bad as, you know, you would expect. Basically, this was his, um, you know, lowest passing grade of the season. They continue to get lower. He's at 53.7 for the year now, 42.2 overall passing grade in week five. Um, You know, no big time throws, three, three plays that we would consider turnover worthy. Um, You know, obviously two of those got home. So it was um, as, you know, kind of as bad as expected, not, not really, you know, moving the football downfield whatsoever. I think it was the second lowest average depth of target game. Uh, Thankfully, you know, had a decent completion percentage and adjusted completion percentage. A lot of that because of, uh, you you know, the rookie, rookie wide receiver and Alex Pierce, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, once again, not necessarily the performance that you think you're going to win with the guy long-term, I would say. All right, so who was numbers-wise worse on Thursday night, Matt Ryan or Russell Wilson? The the only player in the NFL that was worse in Week 5 than Matt Ryan from a passing perspective who played at least 10 snaps or had 10 dropbacks was Russell Wilson. Nice. Maybe that's the reason uh, they won the game, Uh, but it was, uh, yeah, the only thing that Wilson had that, uh, Wilson did have a one uh, one big time throw, basically, which we would classify as you know uh, an NFL caliber throw that went above and beyond expectation. But outside of that, lower adjusted completion percentage, uh, you know, couldn't hit the broad side of the barn really. Uh, when it's all said and done, was much worse from a pass perspective. Four turnover worthy plays compared to Matt Ryan's three, so it was you know every bit as ugly as we're remembering it now on Thursday night. I thought I'd move past the horror of what, what we saw, but yeah. uh, now it's all coming rushing back to me now. Thank yeah, you. we're kind of in the, in that same spot. And and listen, I understand why they felt the need to change some things up, but the way they changed it up seemingly made it worse. And now, you know, now you kind of show everybody that you're really, really scrambling. I guess everybody knew with the level right. of play that we have seen, but now you really show everybody that you're scrambling and that doesn't seem good against the Jacksonville team. If you wouldn't mind to look at Jacksonville uh, numbers wise, how good have they been through the first five weeks of the season at getting after the quarterback? We saw them really good in week number two down in Jacksonville. Has that bared out consistently with that defensive group? Yeah, definitely. They've been, uh, I would say, you know, better than expected from a pass rush pass rushing perspective. I think, the, the key to them, you know, defensively is that they, they're not forced to, uh, you know, manufacture pressure, I would say, in, in a fake way, which is, you know, blitzing on a high number of downs. They don't really blitz a lot. Even when they don't blitz, they can get pressure and can get after the quarterback. So uh, we have them basically uh, 11th, 11th best pass rush uh, rate uh, compared to dropbacks in the NFL through five weeks of the season. I should look at, uh, you know, where they were at on a per-week basis. Uh, I think would be kind of an interesting thing to look at. Cause you said, you know, you, you obviously remember the week, uh, you know, week three with the chargers game they were at, you know, that was their highest pressure rate of the season at 44%. I do think if, you know, we see, uh, uh, you know, Matt Ryan under pressure on 44% of dropbacks, uh, it's going to be a really long day for the Indianapolis Colts. So uh need to get that, you know, within the, the league average of 33% or even less, uh, Jacksonville last week had a 34.6% pressure rate and then uh, 20, 27.3%. So I think they have kind of dropped off from, you know, an early season high in weeks two and weeks three 
uh, with the Chargers, especially. I think they had a you know week two week two against the uh, Colts, thirty eight point nine percent. So that was the that was the high point, um, and, and they have dropped off from there. But you know the outlook coming from the Indianapolis Colts doesn't really necessarily assure me that uh, it, it's nothing more than a wall from the Jacksonville Jaguars side of things. Ben Brown of PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Now you mentioned that among those with significant numbers of passes in week five. Russell Wilson was at the absolute bottom. However, we can look at it this way. How much was it with this Colts D? Because in particular, I thought that they played well and especially Stefan Gilmore, because I thought we saw Stefan Gilmore for the reason why they went out and got him. No matter what you want to say about Russell yep. Wilson or that broke down looking Broncos offense, that guy was brought in to make plays and to make plays in winning time. That's exactly what he did this past Thursday night. Yeah, very and, and very much so, right? And I, and I think the grades definitely show up from that. Uh, you know, Stefan Gilmore, 90.3 PFF coverage grade in week five. I think that would basically be, you know, the highest in the NFL uh, at that particular position. So it was, uh, you know, all that and more. And I, and I definitely agree with you. And I think, you know, through the first five weeks of the season, Gilmore has been exactly what they needed. Now they're finally starting to get, uh, you know, the rest of the defense to kind of come along with him and with his playmaking ability uh, and, and some pressure situations happening, you know, from, from the front four, like they are once again, a very good defensive unit. They can probably beat, you know, a, a number of these teams that aren't upper echelon teams, mainly with their defense, right? And they probably don't need a whole lot from, you know, Matt Ryan in the passing game, especially if, it, if Jonathan Taylor is, you know, making players miss in the open field and actually getting some, you know, uh, you know, yards after contact type situations. So I, I think, you know, Gilmer has been way better than expected. Maybe one of the best, you know, you know, off season acquisitions uh, that we've had on the defensive side of the ball. I think if you want to compare him to, you know, a guy like JC Jackson, who is the highly coveted, you know, cornerback coming from new England, going to Los Angeles has graded out really, really poorly, hasn't had anywhere close to the impact. Uh, you know, on that particular Chargers unit that Stephon Gilmore's had for the Indianapolis Colts. So I think, you know, overall, if you're evaluating any individual signing on the defensive side of the football, you know, Stephon Gilmore, especially for what they paid for him, uh, is giving more than enough production and is playing at, you know, one of the better points of his career, I would say. And I'd have to ask you this. There was a lot of question you know, as to why the Colts would go out and do that because of the age, you know, coming off of, of some injuries, just kind of wondering. And, you know, to this point, I, I think it, it, a game or two like that and you understand why, that's what I gathered more than anything else on Thursday night. You know, Ben, I looked at it and Definitely. I thought that's exactly why, you know, as much crap as I give Chris Ballard around here for decision-making, that's exactly why he made the decision in the secondary on that guy and it paid off big. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, it, it does fit with the rest of their offseason moves. This was a team that, you know, very much believed, uh, you know, whether whether that was right or wrong, that they were kind of a quarterback away from contending with a lot of these teams in the AFC. And I think if you believe that, Stephon Gilmore is kind of the perfect fit, especially if you, you know, you, you trade away a guy like Rocky Sin, who, you know, wasn't necessarily anywhere close to a coverage player as Stephon Gilmore is. And you can get, you know, the situational edge rusher in Yannick Ngakwe, uh, and Gilmore provides so much more from a coverage perspective than Rocky Sin ever did. That elevates your defense once again. And I do think if you were, you know, looking at it last year with them being a top five unit, the, the one weak spot was kind of having uh, a prototypical shutdown cornerback. And I do think that, you know, Stefan Gilmore 
for all intents and purposes, even with his age, uh, it, it is very much that to the first five weeks of the season. All right, be honest. You stuck me with that situational rusher thing right there with Ngakwe, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, that I was, was, that I was mean, a purpose. A that was a purpose he, pitch right there. I know it was. Didn't he have a sack? Didn't he have a sack last week or was that yeah. two weeks ago? But well, I, let me tell I, you I this. No, I, I will tell you, you were absolutely right when you called him rotational. Because if you want him out there and expect him to play against the run, you might as well forget about it because he's going to struggle tackling you. 1.5 sacks on – yeah, he had 1.5 sacks on a Thursday night, basically. No, but I, you, 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 you stuck me with that. You didn't say rotational, but you, you kind of stuck – no, you and you've been right, too, because that, that that's exactly how he has looked. And really, I mean, they're subbing in and out, though. He's he's coming in in, in those, you know, absolute – belief of a passing situation now they're kind of adjusting to what they have right. seen with him early this season i would guess right. right that's the way it looks on the field to me yeah I, and i definitely agree and you know he dropped down basically you know 14 uh you know pass rush uh snaps basically in week four against tennessee back up to 33 so definitely coming in and kind of you know trying to be the guy to at least generate pressure in those obvious pass down situations and i think that you know that that's really his strength that's when he's going to be best if he can you know kind of stay somewhat fresh throughout the game uh, to the point where he can maybe beat a tired uh, offensive lineman in one or two critical leverage type spots. Uh, you know, I think it kind of justifies the trade in a lot of ways. And I do think that he has the talent to at least win in those situations. And it's, you know, I would say pretty uh, respectable coaching to at least identify that and use him in, in, in the right environment and right context. Hey, ben, final thing too, if you wouldn't mind, cause Jacksonville is in town coming up on Sunday. Christian Kirk was fantastic out of the gate, and it appears in the past two games he's hit a wall. Teams have adjusted defensively or something because the numbers are not comparable in the last two compared to what we had witnessed out of him in the first three. What's happened? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, specifically in week four against uh, the Eagles, he had nine targets or whatever. It had, you know, one one pretty decent chunk play. Uh, but but it's been you know it's been probably more so inconsistencies I would say with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback and I think you know we, we him being this you know high thought of prospect uh, definitely showed a lot of warts in his first year and I think that you know through the first three weeks of the season everyone kind of forgot about that but there are still going to be some inconsistencies with him at the quarterback position I do think that you know the Eagles defense specifically is really good uh so i you know expect to see a little bit of a downturn for them in week four i think you know houston texans not really thought of you know as uh, as like a quality type defense but i think you know the structure that they have in place with lovey smith kind of focusing on that area in the draft do have probably some legitimate you know close to being uh you know shut down cornerbacks once again i do think it's probably a little bit more difficult matchup so uh, i don't necessarily want to completely write off christian kirk you know, already, but I would say, you know, after this week, uh, if it's another quiet one, then uh, then maybe, you know, we were probably too quick to uh, justify that offseason acquisition with the dollars that they spent on him. Is this kind of the moment, though, we really do see? And, and again, on my fantasy football team, I have a crap load of wide receivers, and, and you can kind of see yep. this as well. Uh, an adjustment is really made on guys that are quick and productive out of the gate at that position, and this may be the spots where you really see them their numbers start to tumble a little bit because of those defensive yep. adjustments that are being made. Is that accurate? 
I definitely think that's accurate. And I do think, you know, that is very specific to a guy like Christian Kirk, who, you know, wasn't being treated like a number one wide receiver, uh, you know, in this particular Jaguars offense to start the season. And I think you, you probably see, you know, more coverage headed in his direction, especially from a guy like Darius Slay in week four, you start to see, you know, the occasional bracket type coverage and those sorts of things. And that definitely impacts, uh, you, you know, his overall production when, uh, you, you know, teams start to realize that he really is going to be, you know, the, the focal point of this passing offense. So uh, I definitely think that, you know, after, you know, a hot start, we definitely see that, you know, type of counter punch from defenses. And it does seem to be, you know, a, a situation where that can be uh, pretty impactful to that player's performance for the next, you know, for, our, for basically the rest of the whole season. It's Ben Brown, the data scientist, joins us every Tuesday right here in the 4 o'clock hour from Pro Football Focus, explaining us everything that goes behind the numbers. Any other numbers that you wanted, you came up with that I didn't ask you about? Are we, are we good? I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's really numbers-based, but I do think that, you know, Alex Pierce uh, really went up, I would say, a number of steps in my book. I do think part of that was to do yeah. with, you know, the Naeem Hines injury and how they utilize him on the spot and those sorts of things. I do think Alex Pierce benefited from that being out, but – uh, I think he definitely flashed on Thursday, and I think he showed, yes, uh, you, you know, the game that I wasn't necessarily aware of, and I do think that, that you know, makes for uh, a very exciting number two option, and, uh, you know, a spot that I was, you know, probably wrong on, honestly, uh, you know, when they first drafted him and also to start the season. So I think, you know, he's an exciting player, exciting prospect. I am, you know, uh, pretty excited about what he's going to be able to produce here, uh, you know, over the rest yes. of the remaining season. And, and that we'll see what the consistency is because obviously, you know, you struggle right. out of the gate. You, you dropped that touchdown pass that was costly against Houston in week one. But obviously he's put a couple of, of good games together. He is certainly becoming a go-to guy as a rookie for Matt Ryan. And now we're going to see how he adjusts because of the adjustment defenses will make to make him more yep. of a focal point here. So that's that's going to yep. be interesting too, especially starting on Sunday. Definitely. Yeah, and I agree. And I do think, you know, Michael Pittman obviously commanded a lot of the attention. Mm -hmm. Hopefully there's still some opportunity for him, but I do think there is definitely going to be, you know, that counter punch uh, when the realization hits that he is actually a person that can separate, you know, at, at any point in his route. So it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what exactly that, what exactly happens with that. But I do think that, you know, the consistency aspect that you speak to is uh, going to be very interesting to watch over the next three weeks of the season. Fantastic, Ben. I appreciate it as always, even with that whole, you know, spot playing uh, rotational yeah. guy kind of remark right there. So that's all right. That's all right. The counter punch, the counter punch. <laughs> all right. You have a good day. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate you. Talk to you next Tuesday. Great show. It's uh, Ben Brown, PFF data scientist, every Tuesday right here. Hopefully that answered a lot of your analytical questions. Why is it got a circle with a line through it right here? Oh, there he is. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Greg Rakestraw joins us. Hello, Greg. Hello, sir. I, I, apparently Kyle had not put the phone back on the hook on his end. <laughs> So I just I just hold heard some some sort of old man yelling at clouds type rant from like a distance. <laughs> I saw a circle with a line through it. I did not know what that meant. I think that means that my phone call has been banned by the proper authorities. I think what that means is, hey, go ahead and go for two with four and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, man, down one. Right? That's what that so means. Some amazingly smart people do some really dumb stuff when it comes to two point plays in the National Football League, don't they? Well, I mean, and then the, you listen to people that 
or I guess even more dumb for filling your head with that particular idea from a spreadsheet, right? And I'm not going to lie, Andy Reid's call to go for a two and he's up by seven to me is no smarter. Right. So for all the crap that we want to give Josh McDaniels in Indianapolis, and rightfully so, a guy that is a bona fide Hall of Famer, one of the best NFL coaches to do it, I thought his decision to go for two at 30-23 was equally dumb. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw who joins us. we got a lot to get to as well. Um, Dennis Kelly, I saw Zach Kiefer had a tweet a little bit earlier today asking about, hey, you know, what, what's happened, you know, because the Colts made an offensive line move today and was wondering what's going on with Dennis Kelly. And then Dennis Kelly kind of retweeted back wondering the same thing. I'm not <laughs> suggesting at all he's a stopgap or he's going to be any better than what we have seen. But it, it, it would seem to me that you go as far as they did in a short week into Thursday night and change things up, that you could put him in there as some sort of option. You have any idea why? That's a great question. Uh, and I don't know if they don't feel he's fully healthy yet. And I speculated this, you know, yesterday that, hey, he has now – you know, kind of fit the amount of time in four or five weeks that he would have had in training camp, knowing he did not take a single snap in training camp. So if you're worried about that, there you go. Obviously, he was brought in to be the Chris Reed, the Joe Haig, uh, being the guy that's a 10 or 11-year NFL vet. And so who knows? Um, tomorrow, you know, obviously today was the day where the, the coordinators talk, players day off. Frank Reich and players will talk tomorrow and I imagine that might be a question or topic of conversation when Frank gets the media up again shortly after noon tomorrow. So, Greg, I had obviously we always do in the Colts pregame huddle have Rick Venturi on, and he'd mentioned a couple of different things, and it was kind of like what they did, with the exception of he wanted Pryor at right guard and thought Smith should have stayed at right tackle. I guess we can concentrate on that. Did that move make a lot of sense to you there? The only sense I can make of it is, is that Braden Smith is not fully healthy. And so the thought is is that you know he's still one of your five best offensive linemen, but you put him at a right guard position and perhaps um, you know he so, something that would impede his lateral movement, he'd be better off at the right guard spot. Um, maybe it was something about the particular matchup uh, where they felt they wanted him lined up more over a defensive tackle than, say, a defensive end. That's the only sense I can make of it. Um, Matt Pryor has the size of a tackle. I think he has the athleticism of a guard. Uh, And so it would not surprise me at some point this week, next week, whatever, if those two guys are flipped. Again, that's not inside information. That's me trying to make two plus two equal four. Yeah, reportedly the Colts made a move to the practice squad in in Ty Nasiki, I believe you pronounce his name that way, with the Cowboys a year ago. And, you know, you you do that, and they're just kind of thinking about again, and we'll ask Zach this in the 5 o'clock hour. Again, Dennis Kelly, I'm not suggesting he's going to be anything great, but you're seemingly trying everything else. I guess we just kind of wonder why not him too. Exactly. But I'll also say this. I'm also, I'm also okay with running it back in the same five that you had out there last Thursday for this reason. You did that on a short week. You put those five together, and you gave them two walkthroughs, no real practices, to try to get it right. And if you said, all right, now we've got you know practice on Monday, practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and this group has played together in a game – should we give this group one more try in this formation? 
I can live with that too, John, for that for that reason, because you have so much more practice time this week. Greg, with all the respect in the world, I would have to disagree. There's no way you can roll Matt Pryor out there at right tackle. No way. Not against Jacksonville and edge pressure coming up on Sunday. I mean, you might as well, not, Matt, you might as well just have Matt Ryan fall to the ground every time he snaps the ball. I'm not going to fight you on that either, but I understand the logic behind it. We'll, <laughs> well, no, and I get what you're talking about too. I just, I, it's almost like you're you're running out of options here. And if Kelly isn't an option, or it's, um, yeah, you're you're in, in dangerous territory. Let's say, right? Agreed. And and again, I you're. You know, you are always the first to go to must-win category. Um, yes, I'll beat you to the punch on this one. You have to, you have to win this one. Oh, you this absolutely, and, and for and for all the struggles you have had against Jacksonville on the road, you largely have had their number at home. And and last year, the Colts of the Jaguars at home, and the game wasn't close. Now, is this a better Jacksonville team this year? Yes, even with their loss to the Texans last week. So this is one you have to have because. You know, we have talked about the saving grace of being in the AFC South. Well, if you lose this one, you lose the tiebreaker to the Jaguars. Uh, I can't even tell you who the Titans are playing this week. But if you were to lose and they are and they win, now you're a game and a half back, and you know the best you can do is split with the Titans. You absolutely have to win this game on Sunday if you're Indianapolis. Greg Rakestraw's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Were you with me thinking that had that not been a short week, Jonathan Taylor would have given it a go, and yep. thus I'm I'm, I guess I'm not that worried that he will play or in this case won't play coming up on Sunday. You agree? I have always been of that opinion. You know, of the injuries that occurred during the game and before the game last week, that Jonathan Taylor was the most likely to play this coming Sunday. Uh, that Quiddy Pay is the least likely to play. And again, um, I, I do think there's probably an, a short-term IR move uh, that is coming for Quiddy um, because I think it's going to be a four- to six-week injury, you know, on that ankle by by all accounts that we've been told. And then the other guys are kind of somewhat negotiable in the middle. But yes, I thought if that was a Sunday game, 28th out there on the field. Greg Raystraw is with us. Anything significant in your eyeballs over the weekend in college football? And it looks like the Boilers are on a bit of a run that they really needed to get on this time of year, correct? Correct. And what's crazy is is that we can pay lip service and talk about, hey, they're tied for first in the, in the Big Ten West. And, again, do I think whoever wins the Big Ten West has a shot of being Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game? No. But is it an accomplishment to play at Lucas or in the Big Ten championship game? Yes. But I actually went and then looked at what the schedule looks like for Purdue. And I may not have these dates accurate, but let me say this out loud, and that will hopefully give you some resonance as to why you go, holy crap, Purdue has a chance to play in the Big Ten championship game. The remaining schedule is Nebraska, Illinois, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Indiana, and I would assume Iowa, that would be whom is left. And when you just say those names out loud, you go, oh, my God, Purdue's got a chance to win the Big Ten West. And that, you know, Illinois, I think, has the best overall record in the Big Ten West at 5-1 and one, because they haven't lost since somehow, someway letting Indiana beat them in the season opening game on that Friday night in Bloomington. So thought that was a huge win for Purdue on Saturday. And the fact that we can legitimately have the conversation they might they might be playing in the Big Ten championship game. That is a big stinking deal for Jeff Brown's program. Oh, man, no doubt about that. All right, so Sunday the sectional pairings for high school football came out. What stood out to you, Greg? 
What stood out to me was the fact that, you know, you, you had some, some entertaining first-round matchups, you know, for the teams that are playing next week. Tri-West and Danville, although Danville's a little bit down from what they have been. New Pal and Mount Vernon, I'm not sure anybody other than Ron Colley has a legitimate shot at, at New Pal this year. You know, then once you get to the 6A and 5A guys, knowing that Ben Davis and Brownsburg play each other off the jump and that Carmel and Westfield play each other off the jump, those are the ones that, that stood out to me in terms of, you know, first game out of the shoot. And we've got some real good matchups in both weeks one and weeks two. All right. We're kind of in the same ballpark age-wise. Were you a watcher of murder, she wrote, back in the day? Uh, mom was, which meant that dad was. Usually when I heard Pat Summerall say murder, she wrote, it was time to go do homework. Me too. That was usually about yeah. that time. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if it wasn't then, it was when you when you heard the, the watch start clicking for 60 minutes, <laughs> that's when you bailed right there. So, yeah, and I, I think you're right because Angela Lansbury, who's legendary, passed away today at the age of 96, and certainly for a lot in our age bracket, uh, most noted for being a part of Murder, She Wrote, and probably even more noted for that to sports fans because it was always the show that came on after the late game and after 60 Minutes on CBS every Sunday night. couple of things, um, actually three things. Yes. A, I had no idea Angela Lansbury was still alive. That is news to me. Not that she passed away, but she was still amongst the living. Uh, listen, I hope yeah. that that happens to me. I hope everybody forgets that I'm still alive. Uh, that's a good. Yeah. That means you live a long damn time right there. I hope that happens God to bless me. Bless Angela for getting to 96. Uh, <laughs> life well lived there. Uh, B, uh, I love that we have somewhat rehashed the power of social media, almost like the inside joke that it became for Pat Summerall to see how long of a pause he could have between murder and she wrote. So if you go back and you watch any of those clips, like you might get to like seven, eight, nine. I mean, you're like letting it breathe. Murder. She wrote uh, on the reads that Pat would do, you know, teasing the Sunday night CBS lineup. But the other thing that I would say, being the father of a girl that is very much into uh, the music, arts, drama, junior theater, et cetera, Angela Lansbury is also the voice of Mrs. Potts. And my daughter got to play one of those roles in her school musical this nice. past year. So when I think of Angela Lansbury, that's what comes to my mind as well. That is awesome. Yeah, a 265-episode run for Murder, she wrote back in the day. I want to say it started originally back in 19, maybe 84, something like that. So, yeah. And I was a Bears fan. So, I mean, you had a lot of 1 o'clock games as a Bears fan. But in that time frame, basically, you know, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, the Bears would play a lot of those late games. So you would transition, you know, from a CBS Bears game uh, at the end to 60 minutes and then Murder, she wrote. So, yeah. That's John, I grew up in a non-NFL market, and I grew up in a four-channel household. I was just happy when sports were on TV. So whenever CBS <laughs> had the 4 o'clock game, believe me, I was hearing Pat and John break it down and listening to murder. She wrote teases all throughout the second half. <laughs> it's Greg Rakestraw with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Always a pleasure, man. We'll check in with you coming up on Sunday. All right, see you, pal. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw with us.